Today's message isn't so much a, probably a new message as much as it might be more of a refresher, but I believe uh, there's a little bit of a twist in it as well, so I hope we get, we, you get something from it today. And the title of the sermon today is, What Does It Mean to Be Spiritual? And um, would you recognize a spiritual person if you saw one? I mean, are the people that you sit in a pew with, would you consider them spiritual? And some people might say, well, yeah, I think that they're spiritual. Otherwise, why would they be in church? But is a definition of being spiritual, is is it a person who comes to church? Is it a person who sings hymns? Is that the definition of a spiritual person? Is this because I'm a speaker standing behind the podium and giving today's message, that does that make me a spiritual person? We have to look. So to find that answer... We need to go to a very old spiritual book called God's Holy Word and find out from God's Holy Word what is a spiritual, what does it mean to be spiritual. And that's where we're going today with today's message. And uh, so in order to do that, I find, and I almost feel like I have to apologize for this, but it seems like whenever I study things like this, it always brings me back to something I've studied with you many times before. And I have to talk about God's law and His character again. And uh, it ties in really good with today's Sabbath school lesson as well. But I don't feel like I should have to apologize when I have to talk about God's law. And you know why? It's because when you study the Bible, as we learned today in Sabbath school, that the law is talked about everywhere, even from before Sinai, as we learned about in Sabbath school this morning. In fact, when you think about God in heaven, in the Holy of Holies, on His throne, called the Mercy Seat, in between the cherubims, also known as the Ark of the Covenant, inside His throne, inside His seat, are some very special articles, but one stands out amongst all of them. And what is that? God's law, right? So in God's very throne is His law. And when you think about Jesus and why He came to earth, To save us from sin. That's the most common response why Jesus came. And it is true, Jesus came to save us from sin. But we're also told that well, we should also address the fact that what is sin? And we all know that sin is transgression of what? The law. So even Jesus came to earth, one of the reasons He came to earth was because of the breaking of God's law. So again, the law is mentioned as a big part of salvation. And when you study the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and you understand something we Adventists call the great controversy, when you study this, you'll find out in the great controversy, and I'll just give you one reference, Signs of Times, January 16, 1896, you'll learn really clearly that in the great controversy that Satan made the accusation against God that God's law cannot be kept. And one of the reasons that Jesus came in the form of humanity, other than to save us from sin, was to prove that the law can be kept in humanity and it can be kept perfectly. So again, you see the law, the law, the law. The law is talked about everywhere in the Bible. And sadly, Satan has confused Christians in the world to think that the law has been done away with. And it's amazingly because Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 5.17 that Jesus said himself, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. 
So here Jesus even says, listen, this is one of the reasons I came. I came to fulfill a law. He's answering the claims in the great controversy. And of course, it goes much broader than that. But we all know, and you know, because we've talked about it many times here in Brooklyn, that the law is much more than just a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? The law is actually the character of God written in stone. And we find that in the Spirit of Prophecy, lift him up, page 147. So the Ten Commandment law is God's character written in stone. And I don't need the Spirit of Prophecy to prove that to you. And I know not everybody is strong in the Spirit of Prophecy. So I'm going to read something else again that, I, that you've heard many times. And I'll try to breeze through it a little bit because I want to bore you with it. But I don't find this boring at all. That when you look at God's character in the Bible, there's a list of God's characteristics. And one of God's characteristics is holy. And the Bible literally says that God is holy. And you find that in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3. And then we're also told in the Bible that His law is holy. And that's found in Romans seven twelve. We're also told in the Bible that God is perfect, Matthew five forty eight. And we're also told in Psalms verse 19 and verse 7 that His law is perfect. So in the Bible, you will find wherever God's characteristics is listed, you will find in the Bible where God's law is actually, His character written in stone is there. See how perfectly this ties in with this morning's Sabbath school lesson. So I'm just going to read what are in the Bible. If you want the text for these, I'll be happy to give them to you after the sermon. Just come see me. But God is holy. His law is holy. God is perfect. His law is perfect. God is righteous. His law is righteous. God is love. His law is love. God is good. His law is good. God is pure. His law is pure. God is just. His law is just. So as you can see biblically, the law is just a reflection, a mere reflection of God's characteristics. Can you see that? If you can, say amen. amen. And it's very interesting that when God created Adam and Eve in the very beginning, when He created them, in Genesis 1 and verse 27, we're told that Adam and Eve were created in God's very image. And when you do a study on this in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, you'll learn one thing really clearly that when Adam and Eve were created, that his very law was created and written upon their hearts and mind. Adam and Eve was reflecting God's character. And to give you just a reference for that, you can find that in Signs of Times, April 15, 1886. And we're told that Adam and Eve had the law of God printed upon their hearts from creation, from the very creation. And if they had God's law written upon their heart, then they were reflecting God's characteristics because the law is His character written in stone. But sadly, as you know, that after Adam and Eve sinned, they broke God's law and they no longer now reflected His image. And He now... The Bible, we're actually told in the Bible and in the Spirit of Prophecy, I should say, Great Controversy, page 46, we're told that after Adam had sinned, that Adam no longer reflected the divine image and that his heart was now at war with the principles of his law. And in the plan of salvation, I find this most fascinating, that in the whole plan of salvation, this is like, this is like the heart of it. The very heart of the plan of salvation when you study the Bible, that God actually wants to restore us 
back into His image in which we lost in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And we're actually told that this is true. We're told in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter chapter 10 and verse 16, that the Bible says, and I quote in the New Testament, that this is the covenant God is speaking. This is the covenant that I will make with man after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and then into their minds I will write them. So it's very biblical that God wants to write His laws back into our heart and mind. And we're even told in the spirit of prophecy in Review and Herald September 27, 1881. And get this, God wants to restore, and I like the word restore because that means we had it, right? You can't restore into somebody something that they never had in the beginning. God wants to restore man in the plan of salvation to his condition before the fall. And what was his condition before the fall? Well, he had the law of God written upon his heart. So, now again, I'm going to prove that to you biblically. Again, I know that you know these things. We've talked about it many times. But I'm going to show you to you biblically that God does want each and every one of His characteristics written in your heart. Again, as we've already read in Isaiah 6, uh, verse 3, that God is holy. And as we have read in Romans 7, 12, that His law is holy. That you can find in the Bible, in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 1, 16, there is a quote, and this is what the Bible says, that God says, I want you to, and I quote, Be you holy, for I, God, am holy. So you can see God is holy, His law is holy, which is a list, uh, is a reflection of His character. And God's saying, listen, I want you to be that too. But that's not all. The Bible also says that God is perfect and that His law is perfect. And we're told in Matthew 5, verse 48, Jesus says, Be you perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. So you can clearly see that God wants you to have the same characteristics. And we can do this with righteous. God is righteous. His law is righteous. And he that doeth righteousness is righteous even as God is righteous. God is love. His law is love. And we're told in Matthew 5, 48, that we're to be loving even as your Father is loving. God is good. His law is good. And we're told that we're to be good. So you can see it's very biblical that God wants us to have each and every one of his characteristics in us. That is the plan of salvation. In fact, we're told in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, and I quote, Follow peace with all men, and holiness, This and holiness without no man shall see the Lord. Now we already know that holiness is one of God's characteristics. So as you can see again, this is very, very biblical. In fact, we're told again in the spirit of prophecy and... Uh, Christ's uh, Object Lessons, page 69, that we're told this in regards to Jesus. That when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in His people, then He will come and claim him, claim them as His own. So what is Jesus waiting for? He's waiting for that law to be rewritten in our heart. He's waiting for us to reflect those characteristics once again. This is the very heart of the plan of salvation. You will find this in every lesson taught in the Bible. Every story either has something to do with God's character of His law. Amen? Amen. Think about it. Just think about the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. Let me see. Well, good is one of God's characteristics, right? 
What is the thing that Jesus was bringing out in the Good Samaritan? How the Pharisee walked by the man who was beaten and robbed and left half dead. This religious man who looked so holy and looked so spiritual just walked by and wouldn't even look at the man. But yet a, a good Samaritan, a man who wasn't a religious leader, came by and took pity on the man. And he bound up his wounds and he cared for this man. Which one represented the character of God? It wasn't a religious leader. So you can see that you can be a speaker in God's church. You can be sitting in a pew. It doesn't make a difference because the Pharisee, he certainly went to church every Sabbath. So it doesn't mean that that person is spiritual. Now, when you take a moment and actually look at the Ten Commandment law, which we know is is a uh, it is God's character written in stone. I'm just going to go over the Ten real quick. I know you know it well. I'm not going to read every word of it, but... It, the first commandment, that thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images and bow down to them. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness, which is thou shalt not lie. And thou shalt not covet. So again, remember that it is this law that is described as holy. It is this law that is described as pure, righteous, perfect. This law is told what this, these, all these characteristics are. And it's very important that we understand that it is this law that is actually the, the definition of what each and every one of these characteristics are. For example, as we already know that the law is holy. If a person keeps all the Ten Commandments, would you say he is holy? Would you? Would you? Yes. Because the law is the definition. The law is holy. If, if, if a person claims to be pure, how would you know? What's the definition? Well, the law is pure. And so if a person keeps the Ten Commandments in his heart and in his mind, not just outwardly, but inwardly, then this person is pure. It's a definition who is perfect. It's a definition of who is righteous. So you can see that the law not only defines what a person is, it defines what a person is not. And it's also very interesting that because the law is also a definition of what a holy person is not, it's very interesting. The Bible says that if you break one of the least of these, you've broken them all, right? Let's prove that. If a person keeps all ten, all nine, keeps nine of the ten commandments, and let's say he just breaks one, he lies. Could he ever be a holy person? No, he can't be. Could you ever say he's a righteous person? No, one of God's character. Could you ever say he's perfect? Another one of God's characteristics. You can't. And you can do this with any one of the characteristics of God. The law defines what that characteristic is. That's why the law is holy, pure, righteous. It's one law described by all those characteristics that are the same characteristics of our Heavenly Father. So let's come back to our question. So what defines a spiritual person? I have a confession to make. I purposely left out one of God's characteristics. One of God's characteristics is this. The Bible says in that same list, the Bible says that God is spiritual. John 4, 
verse 24. And we're also told in the Bible that His law is spiritual, Romans 7, 14. So if what defines righteousness, purity, holiness, perfection is the law, then what defines what is spiritual? Tell me. The law, right? It's very simple. So you can see it's not a person necessarily who comes to church is a spiritual person. They might sing hymns. They might come to Sabbath school. They may pay tithe. They may be praying. They may look spiritual, but only the only thing that defines what a spiritual person is is whether or not they're keeping God's law. Amen? Amen. A spiritual person obviously would never commit adultery, still make images, cover thy neighbor's good. And I also find it very interesting that when you study the Bible and the spirit of prophecy that on this subject, there's only two characters out there that you can have. We already know what God's character is because we already define that both in the spirit of prophecy and in the Bible. But there's only one other character you can have because see, if you're at war with the principles of God's law in which Adam and Eve were and which we are kind of born with, then we have to admit that they would take on the image of who? Satan, right? Let me read something to you. It's found in John chapter 8, verses 35 and 44. John chapter 8, verses 35 and 44, and I'm going to read this to you. And this is Jesus saying, speaking, The servant abideth not in a house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son shall therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that, and of course Jesus is talking to the Jews, okay? I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me. Whose characteristic is that? Satan's. But you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen of your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works or actions of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. Who's, what characteristics is love? God's, right? For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither come of myself. But he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and bowed not into the truth. Because there is no truth in, them, truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. So who's the father of murdering, killing, and lying? Satan. Whose characteristics were the Jews manifesting? Satan's. Obviously they did not have God's characteristics. And you know that we can, I can actually tell if I spent time with each and every one of you, I can actually tell whether you are a spiritual person or not. And you might say, whoa, wait a minute, Brother Ron, that would be judging. But you know what? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells, tells me that would be fruit inspecting because we're told in Matthew 7, verse 16 and verse 20 that by their fruits you will know them. 
And just as an example that we just read, Jesus, when he looked at the Jews and by their actions and what they were seeking to do by them, that is how he knew whose character and whose father really was their father, right? But what about you and me? We'll either have one or the other character. We either have God's character or we don't. And it's so important that in this life, these probationary hours, it's so important that this becomes such a center theme of our life. I want to read something to you in the spirit of prophecy. Well, first I want to read something to you. Yeah, let me read something to you here uh, in in the spirit of prophecy of Third Selected Messages, page 191. And we're told that those who would be saints in heaven must first be saints upon the earth. So if you want to go to heaven, where do you have to become a saint first? Right here, right? If you think, well, no, I'll be a saint there, but not here. Guess what? You're not going there. And many people even have this false idea that, and I know this, this is a belief because I've heard it amongst Adventists, that they have this belief, well, you know, I'm not so perfect, righteous, pure, holy, spiritual here, but when the Lord comes, He's going to change me. You know, we're told in a spirit of prophecy very clearly, brothers and sisters, that that is not true. And then when people make that assertion, it is an absolute lie from the father of lies. And when you read Testimonies of the Church, or Testimonies for the Church, volume um, 5, page 466, I want you to listen to this. Every thought and word and deed of our lives, we will meet again. What we make ourselves in this probationary time, that we must remain for all eternity. Death brings dissolution to the body, but makes no change in the character. The coming of Christ does not change our character. It only fixes them forever beyond all change. So when does character must change? When must we take on the characteristics of Christ? Later or now? Absolutely right now. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 and verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the Bible makes it very clear. If you're going to stay in the character that you're born with, you will die. But to be spiritually minded is life. Let me say that in another way. To remain earthly minded in character is death. But to be spiritual minded in character is life and peace. So you might wonder, well then how do we, if we're, since this is such a major focus in my life, and this is a, such a salvation issue, then how do I take on God's characteristics? How do I become holy, pure, righteous, spiritual? Well, Jesus actually answers this question. And you can find it in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And I'm going to read it to you, but not every word of it, but I'm going to read most of it. Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto them, how can a man be born when he is old? And Jesus answered, verily, verily, or another word for verily, very is the truth, the truth. I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Now, I want to stop right there and just refresh your memory that every one of us here in this room were born of the water. And a lot of people think, oh, I know, that is, that's water baptism. No, that's not water baptism. When Jesus is talking about being born of water, every one of us were in our mother's womb in an embryonic sac full of embryonic fluid known as water. And every woman here knows that when a woman gives birth, people always say, did her water break yet? Did her water break yet? You see, we were all born in water. So we got the first one down pretty good. Because that happened to every one of us. But we're also told very clearly that we must be born of the Spirit. Okay, let me find it here. And if he doesn't, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the question is, but how? Okay? So, Jesus actually answers this question. And Jesus says this. Because this was on Nicodemus' mind, and it should be on our mind. How? Jesus says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And that might sound a little vague, but it's not vague at all. Actually, it's pretty clear. What does the word wind symbolically mean in the Bible? The Holy Spirit, right? That's what the word wind means. And to give you an example, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 2-4, through And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all, all in one accord, the disciples, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So it is the job of the Holy Spirit to prick our hearts when we're not acting like God's character. Now, does the Holy Spirit change us? No. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to our hearts, which is now up to us whether or not we're wanting, willing to change. And when you actually, and I like how Jesus compared it to as, you know, you can see the trees listing, you know, and you can hear the sound. You know, when you find a real good Christian brother, you can see it by the way they act. And you can see it by the way, or you can hear it by the way they talk. So the biblical example is a perfect example of what the Holy Spirit's job is. It's to change us. God wants to what? He wants to rewrite his law upon our hearts. But he can't do it, brothers and sisters, without you. I'm going to read something to you. It's pretty powerful. It's found in uh, Christ's Object Lessons, page 331. Christ has given us no assurance to attain to perfection of character is an easy matter. A noble all-around character is not inherited. It does not come to us by accident. A noble character is earned by individual efforts through the merits and grace of Christ. God gives the talents, the powers of the mind. We form the character. It is formed by hard, stern battles with self. Conflict after conflict must be waged against hereditary tendencies. We shall have to criticize ourselves closely and not allow one unfavorable trait... Remain uncorrected. Let no one say I cannot remedy the defects of my character. If you come to this decision, you will certainly fail of obtaining everlasting life. The impossibility lies in your own will. And your will is your decision. If you will not, then you cannot overcome. The real difficulty arises from the corruption of an unsanctified heart and an unwillingness 
to submit to the control of God. So when God is speaking to your heart, brothers and sisters, it's really important that we submit to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We're also told this in Acts of the Apostles, page 482, and it talks about that in the plan of salvation, that there needs to be a cooperation. And I love the word cooperation because co means two. You got to have two to have cooperation. You can't have cooperation with yourself. So I'm going to read this to you. I think it's beautiful. There is to be a cooperation between God and the repentant sinner. This is necessary for the formation of right principles in the character. Man is to make earnest effort to overcome that which hinders him from attaining to perfection, but he is wholly dependent upon God for the success. Human effort of itself is not sufficient. Without the aid of divine power, it avails nothing. God works and man works. Resistance of temptation must come from man who must draw his power from God. On the one side, there is infinite wisdom and compassion, and on the other, weakness, sinfulness, absolute helplessness. So as you can see, in the plan of salvation, when the Lord pricks our heart, it's up to us whether we're going to do something with that. And if you will just submit your heart, surrender it through the power of Christ, cooperate with God, He can now write His law upon your heart, and you will one day reflect His characteristics Perfectly. And I noticed that there's something else that's taught in Adventism that I find very alarming. Because Satan likes, he's a liar, you know. He told Adam and Eve, you know, in the days you eat this, you shall not surely die when God already said that he will die. But Satan can take things in their spirit of prophecy even and twist them around. And there's a lie that I hear going around in Adventism and it really sickens my heart. And this is the, this is something that I guarantee you've heard it. Sanctification takes the work of a lifetime. If you heard that, raise your hand. Sanctification takes the work of a lifetime. I've heard that in Adventism as long as I've been in Adventism. And because of that, people think, oh, don't worry about it, you know. It'll take a lifetime to reach sanctification. But I'm telling you, this is absolutely a lie, and it's twisting the spirit of prophecy. That's not what she said at all. In fact, I'm going to read to you what she says. And keep in mind, brothers and sisters, that sanctification is just another word to be made holy, which is one of God's characteristics. When God created the Sabbath, He sanctified it. He set it apart. He made it holy. God wants to sanctify you and me. He wants to make us holy. He wants us to reflect His character as well. Now I'm going to read the statement in the spirit of prophecy. Pay, pay close attention. Sanctification is not a work of a moment, an hour, a day, but a lifetime. It is the result of constantly dying to self and constantly living for Christ. Now listen, sanctification is the result of lifelong obedience. It doesn't take a lifetime to reach holiness or to become holy or to be sanctified, but it does take a work of a lifetime to remain sanctified. It doesn't take a work of a lifetime to abide in Christ. Abide means to stay. Right? But it does take a work of a lifetime to stay abiding in Christ. Amen? So don't buy the lie. You can become holy. Keep the law. Inside and outside. And when God speaks to your heart, surrender yourself to Him. Don't try to do it yourself. 
Depend on Him. He'll help you, but you have a part to play. You're to cooperate. And you're to make a decision in His favor. I find this this subject so fascinating that I have to admit in my studies, I, I see it everywhere. When I read the Spirit of Prophecy, I see it everywhere now. And that's why it seems like I keep repeating myself. Because every time I go to a study, it keeps bringing me back to this. Because you know why? It is the core message for God's people these days. Right now. That is what Christ is waiting for. Amen? It's more important than owning a house. It's more important than having a family. It's more important than having degrees and letters after your name. Amen? There's nothing wrong with those things. But the problem is that when we make those things a priority of our life, guess what's not the priority of our life? Amen? Life is short. It's fleeting. Before we, I'll tell you, it just seems like yesterday, I, was, I took my niece out the other day for her 18th birthday. It, just, I, it seems like just a few years ago, I was 18. I'm still 18 in my heart. But, but when I look in the mirror, just this old man, he keeps staring back at me. But I just, but I can't get over the fact how fast life has gone. And you know, before I know it, life is going to be over. What has been the priority in my life? What's the priority in your life? I hope, I hope, brothers and sisters, that the subject of having God's law, if you remember nothing else, remember that God wants to write His law upon your heart. And we need to cooperate with Him so He can do that. Amen. The Bible tells us, or we're told this, uh, this day with God, and then I'll close. The perfection of character is to be the aim, the purpose of our life. And no excuse will be accepted of God for not, for not, I'm sorry, let me say that again. I want to mess this up because it's an important statement. The perfection of character is to be the aim, the purpose of our life. And no excuse will be accepted of God as a reason for not meeting the divine standard. Someday we will stand before God in His law. And God will look at you and He will know by looking at your heart and your life. Did you reflect His character or Satan's? That's the determination for life and death. In the words of Paul, I'll close with Hebrews 6 and verse 1. Let us go on unto perfection. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Well, like, with that, I'd like to, if you don't mind, I'd like to just have a uh, prayer with you. Dear Heavenly Father, I know this is not a new message that you have given to me and to your people. But certainly, Lord, it is a timely message for the time that we're living in these probationary hours. I pray, Lord, that each and every one of us uh, were pricked by the words in the spirit of prophecy and in the Bible. It's clear what you want to do. I pray, Lord, for myself and my brothers and sisters that we will make this a priority in our life. That we will surrender our hearts to you fully so you can write your beautiful character upon us once again and we can reflect your image and we can go home with you. And I know that we can't do this of ourselves. We can only do this with your help. It's only through your power. But I also recognize, Lord, that you can't do it in us without us surrendering our will and make a decision every day. Paul said, I die daily. We must die daily to sin and to self and live for Christ. And we ask you this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.